Hey everyone, it's Mike from BGN. Before the show starts, I wanted to quickly tell you about a very special new sponsor that we have at the network, Golden Goal Press. Now, I've intentionally been very selective about who we partner with as a network because I never want to advertise for someone that we don't think would benefit you personally. That's why Roughneck Scarves is and continues to be a great sponsor as they've been able to outfit tons of supporters groups and organizations with amazing scarves. Golden Goal Press is unique because after researching tons of companies, we decided the best way to serve your needs directly is to create a new company that can work directly with you. Golden Gold Press helps you create custom shirts, hats, mugs, flags, literally the list of items can go on and on and we do it with a unique personal touch that provides you with the best products at a fraction of the cost of other print shops online. So the next time you're looking for one custom item or hundreds, please go check out goldengoldpress.com. As always, we appreciate your support and now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Chris, take it away. Welcome, everybody, to League One Fun, the only soccer show where you get all the soccer and twice the spice. We are excited to be with you again this week. And today on the show, we've got Ira. What's happening, Ira? Hey, I'm looking forward to five matches, all 10 teams playing on the same weekend for the first time. I'm really looking forward to to a lot of soccer. Where do you rank that between... Avengers Endgame and this two-hour Game of Thrones battle we're about to get, though. Well, so and I'm doing my uh, U.S. Soccer D license this weekend too. So it's it's actually going to be all oh, soccer well, all that, and then yeah, Game of Thrones. All of that is at the bottom. I mean, yeah, everything else is out the window when it comes to the D licensing, right there. <laughs> and uh, since he can't help but jump over top of Ira's time, we've also got Jason with us. What's up, Jason? What's going on? Hey, that's a uh, that's a nice sign that you got. So for the people who don't view the live show and uh, are only listening to this, uh, you know, and they're on their podcasting services, why don't you tell everyone what your sign says? Yeah. So my name's Chris, and I'm rocking full hashtag Nomingo this week. Uh, I'm sick and tired of the flamingos being a deal, and I'm keeping my sign up the whole time today, even when Peter Wilt comes on the show. So come at me, bro. Let's go. Let's throw down here on <laughs> League One Fun. Hey, before this is a rivalry, Greenville forward Madison, huh? Look, yeah. I, okay. So I mean, everybody's trying to make Greenville and Tormenta thing. I got uh, my beef is with forward Madison because I feel like they're still in all the spotlight from the league so I want I just want to steal some back so here we go hashtag no mingo I'm doing all the uh, beating up plastic flamingo gifts this week on Twitter it's it's a movement it's a movement I respect it uh, before we get into the show we want to thank our sponsors Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press a new one you'll be hearing about at the end of the show but just want to mention them here at the top before we get into this week's news and notes so first up guys today the league just dropping some unexpected news on us uh usl league one gonna be announcing another expansion city soon and i gotta be honest it took me like three hours to figure out what the deal with the graphic was i was like wait some of these states already have teams in them so but are these the teams that they're saying it's going to be from no they basically just put up all the states that already have a team so there's really no clues to this tweet. It's just completely vague. So uh, guesses, where, where do you think that the league is going next with their expansion efforts? So, you know, that, that Midwest is just looking so empty. And I just feel like there is a lot of people who, uh, who 
are anxious for them, you know, have that kind of community, have the experience, right? You've got uh, amateur teams who have had longevity success and has put out MLS players. So, you know, even though I do think it's going to be the South, I do think it's going to be somewhere like a Lexington or Bowling Green. I'm really hoping that we can get uh, something going on in the Midwest, maybe a Omaha or something. Yeah, I think I think that would be good, especially since we, you know, don't have a lot of teams like farther out west. I I don't know who on the west coast west coast it would necessarily be, um, but you know, I was even thinking we, we were talking about this a little bit on Twitter today. Jason was, you know, may, maybe something like uh, like somewhere in either Louisiana or Mississippi. Um, like Jackson seems to be a nice place for a team, right? So yeah, Birmingham there too. So for, for U.S. Open Cup rivalries, that would be great. And North Texas, not that far away, really. So at least compared to a lot of the other travel that the other teams do. So when I uh, talked to Stephen Short a couple weeks ago, I know he said that Tucson had been chewing his ear about getting some more teams out in the westernmost parts of the U.S., you know, I and I understand. I think Ira, you did your travel rankings before the <laughs> season, and Tucson is really getting the short end of the stick there. You know, last year there was some rumors and some rumblings about AS Roma starting a team or at least being connected to a team in Riverside, California, out in the LA area. Wouldn't be surprised if this is that one, because you know the other two teams that we that we had kind of heard stirred about at around that time were Penn FC and Rochester, both who have officially kind of been announced for next year. So wouldn't be, wouldn't be shocked to see if it was the Riverside team, but then again, you know, could be something fun. I don't know. I know that I know they've talked about the uh, Louisville, Kentucky as being a spot too. So could, could we uh, be looking at something? Maybe, uh, maybe we're thinking about this too, you know, new teamish instead of saying, well, you know, who might come down from, uh, from the champion. Yeah, right? I, I so, definitely think so. I don't think yeah. they would make a big deal about it if it was just the announcing a team coming down. Right. I think they yeah. would just kind of say, Oh, by the way, beginning of the year, yeah. such, these are teams that are coming. Because those, down. Yeah. Cause those teams could make a decision at the end of the year. Right. So like any of the two teams that were going to come down, or even if there's a, like a, a, you know, a smaller championship side that, um, you know, that wanted to come down, they, they could, they don't have to do that because they already have the infrastructure there. Right. So it's yeah. really, you know, you really have to announce the new teams now. So they have, you know, nine months at least to get things ready. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think they're, they don't need the infrastructure ramp up for an existing team. And the other thing is, I think you don't want to necessarily distract from your current season by saying, Hey, forget this season, next season, we're going to be in league one. Uh, you know, I think any teams that are going to come up or come down, I think you'll see probably after this, uh, this calendar season is over um, in terms of that. I think the teams that are going to be announced during the season are probably going to be expansion teams if I had to guess. So yeah. uh, another piece of news, and we're going to try to just breeze through, you know, we only have three games to recap, but we want to make sure that we have plenty of time for uh, Peter Wilt jumping on with us around nine forty. Uh, next piece of news, Lansing signs uh, Malcolm Stewart. Uh, Jason, you're our resident Lansing stan on the panel. Wow, stan. Why don't, you, why don't you tell us about this move? Wow. So, yeah, it's, uh, of course, what do you think the word was described for Malcolm? Athletic. Uh, so, fits the scheme, I would say. And it's a, it's a good move for them because 
uh, gives them center back depth, right? And that rotation in that system is going to be very important. Um, tired legs, many games. So that's always something to where when you hear that Lansing gets a debt player, it kind of means more compared to maybe some other teams, right? Who their debt players might only play if there's a bad injury or they might only play four or five games of the season. This, you know, when it comes to Lansing's team, they're going to be seeing, you know, probably seven to 10 games per season just because of their style and their tactics. So good, good for Lansing to, to stock up on that. And then also, um, Hopefully they don't have any uh, red card situations to where they're going to have to keep bringing in center back. So we'll see. Ira, do you have any thoughts on that move? Um, I I don't. I don't really know him that well. Uh, you know, I think any team is going to need is going to need depth, particularly since you're going into this period when you're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of matches, right? So if you if if you think about the next couple of weeks and in, in the first three weeks in May, some of these teams might have to play five games in two weeks. So you need to have at least some rotation there at almost every position. Jason, I know you talk about rotation, but honestly, like I haven't been blown away with Lansing's defense anyway. And I, I think there's a chance that, you know, he, he could compete for some starting minutes because I, you know, I've, it's not that they've been, the worst in the league or anything like that, but I definitely think they have more of a, an emphasis on their attack. And I think they've been susceptible and shown that and shown that they can give up goals. So, you know, I mean, I think, I think it's a great, I don't, but I don't think anybody signs thinking, yeah, I'm going to be a, a backup or a right. depth piece. So I, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, competing or at least right on that line of, of kind of a borderline starter for some matches. And that should always be the attitude anyway. I do think that Stoneman is a rock and yeah. his position's a lock. I do think that he's one of the best uh, center backs in the league. But as far as the rest of the defense, yeah, you should always kind of be on your heels. And you see that a lot too, even with goalkeepers, right? You'll see them bring in a goalkeeper where you feel like, oh, this goalkeeper's a lock. And then sometimes, you know, and we'll talk about it later with uh, Ford Madison, but when Brian Sylvester came on board, you know, that's an MLS keeper and everyone thought he was on lock. He deals with an injury one week, and Ryan Coulter's been playing extremely well. And so now you have a question of, oh, well, do we play the guy that we thought was going to start, or do we keep with the hot hand? And so I think every player can have that in mind, right? It only takes one opportunity for them to uh, showcase their talents and stay on the starting roster, as Ira shows us his <laughs> five notes. <laughs> he's, he's flashing the, uh, the lots secret and lots sauce of notes. there. Lots of notes. <laughs> Just getting uh, ready. We're, we're, we're getting ready to the games, you know? We get so excited. <laughs> right. So um, we have looked uh, every week. We've kind of looked at the team of the week. We haven't necessarily, like, gone point by point. Um, but anything – would love to ask you guys anything that stands out on the team of the week. And I will, I will start. Uh, I wrote an article this week at GVLsoccer.com as a, a recap of the match. And one of my things that I pointed out for Greenville that – is uh, has not looked great the last couple matches, and one thing I think they could really improve on. And I preface this by saying I hate calling out players individually, uh, but I put a big red circle on Tyler Pollock, and then, of course, he gets named the team of the week, which cracks me up. Um, but I will say he played very well. I was shocked when I saw the starting lineup for Greenville. He was he was announced uh, as a left wing up top on the, on the forward line in the 4-3-3 as opposed to his typical left back starting position, I think that's actually a good fit for them. Him there kind of in the midfield pressing high because he's a little bit slower. His age is getting to him. And when he has to retreat back on defense, he he doesn't seem to be able to get back quick enough. 
So I think pushing him up high without him having to fulfill that responsibility was great. I think he looked good in the first half. Now, around halftime, your starting left back, Dominic Bolin, goes out with an injury, so they slide him back there, and then I think you see that susceptibility there in the second half. So first half, yeah, maybe he was deserving. Second half, I don't I don't think so. So I, I was just kind of surprised to see him in the team of the week. But I would love to hear y'all's thoughts if you thought – uh, anybody stood out to you that was either on the team that deserved it or got left out? Uh, Ira, let's let's start with you, man. Well, I, I think it's hard this week because there are only three games. So you know, if you're gonna you know try and limit the number of players from each team, I, I think you know all of these were pretty well deserved. Um, the person who I think is not here who should be was Eric Leonard. Um, he was all over the place um, in the OCB um, forward match, and you know he really did a great job. Job um, in that that number six, the, the center defensive midfielder role, and uh, again another defensive midfielder that doesn't make the team of the week. You know, it's like one of these things where what do you have to do to be a team mid and then and, and make the make the team of the week? I'm not sure, um, but he he had a fantastic game. I mean, he's one of the reasons why uh, wh- why that game was so fun to watch. Yeah, I would I agree. I also would have liked to see uh, Boldick from Richmond on the team of the week. I thought that he played phenomenally and he was the pivot of their offense. I thought Richmond looked very smooth and it was because he was quick with the passing. He allowed Eli and the other wingers to kind of the backs to kind of move up the wing and take up that space. And so I think that he was the reason why that Richmond kind of saw that success offensively and uh, looked probably better offensively than they have for most of the year. Uh, yeah, so it'd be nice to see him. If you didn't have if you didn't have him, you know, he he could replace Hughes there probably. I thought Hughes had a pretty good game too. So yeah. so you know one of the challenges is when you only have 3 games and so you only have 6 teams and you're trying to limit um, you know, 3 players per team say for the team of the week, then mm-hmm. you know, it's it's kind of hard. You have to make that that tough decision uh, whoever makes these these kind of calls. But what? but I, I agree with you. He had a great game too. Yeah, and just because I was standing behind him the entire first half and watched him make probably one of the most incredible saves of the match, surprised that Kira Fitzgerald didn't get more love. Um, He really, uh, Greenville had a ton of shots, and he, I mean, he just shut him down. He and he's not a big goalkeeper; he's only like five nine. I mean, he looked tiny in goal. Um, but really, really played really well. But uh, other than that, you can't really argue with anybody that's on the team, I don't think. I mean, I think everybody that's up there deserves it. Uh, Last piece of news we want to talk about, I I don't know if this is big news, little news, or medium news. Uh, Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor uh, Mandela Barnes is going to make the first kick at the forward home opener. Is this this news? I put it on. I put it in in the notes just because I think it's kind of a neat thing, right? So it, when you have you know a politician that that presumably has at least some name recognition coming out to a game and and you know doing some of these fun things, I, I think it's it's nice. I mean, it's more of a reminder that this is going to be forwards home opener. It's you know amazing that we're you know this deep into the season and you know one of the teams is ha- having their first home match. Um, so you know that's something obviously we should talk about when uh, when we talk to Peter later in the show. Sure. I think if you're Wisconsin, if you're a team in Wisconsin, you don't get Brett Favre though. I mean, are you really even trying? <laughs> Cause I gotta be honest. I mean, I, it, it is, I, I agree with you. Ira. It is cool. Anytime you get somebody of that kind of prominence and position, but I couldn't tell you our Lieutenant governor in South Carolina. If you gave me a list of names, I wouldn't be able to tell you who is the Lieutenant governor. <laughs> I, I venture to guess most people there won't know who this is. Um, but again, I think, you know, it, it's always great that you can say, Hey, 
we got we got a big high ranking official to come out and, and kick the first ball. Jason, any thoughts on this? Yeah. Well, we got Peter Wilt coming on, so you know, with Green Bay, you know, him starting a team there, maybe BJ Raji or a Packer legend to come out there and uh, kick the opening ball. Uh, but yeah, it's cool. It's just a reminder that you know this is all about the community, right? So it doesn't even necessarily need to be politician. It can just be someone you know. With Atlanta United, they usually bring in a local Atlanta celebrity to come in and hit the golden spike before the game, and I think that's just cool tradition that's unique to the sport, right? And I mean, you usually have big, big politicians on in big championships. So I think like George Bush did the coin flip of the World Series for the Astros when they won it, or the Texans, or something. Um, so it's cool though to to show that yeah. Yes, we're invested in the community and we're community first. Yeah. And I think, I think we all expect this is going to be kind of a, a, a must watch show being forwards home, home opener. I mean, everything they've done, I think we've all agreed across the board has looked great to the point where I'm having to make up uh, hashtags here. Hashtag no Mingo, just to remind you, go ahead and tweet that out. Hashtag no Mingo, N O M I N G O. Uh, you know, they, they've done such a good job that uh, I, I, th- I have high expectations and I think it'll be, it should be a show. It should be a PT Barnum style uh, soccer extravaganza. I, I do believe. Well, without delaying too much further, let's jump in and look at what happened this week. Uh, first match was on Friday night forward. Madison taking the victory two one over Orlando city B although Orlando city looking, looking pretty good there initially. And uh, so Ose. Osei Wusu, uh, Orlando City, got the PK. Be interested to hear what you thought about that call in the 36th minute to put Orlando up 1-0. And then in the second half, the 58th minute, Nunez from Madison and then Russell from Madison in the 70th minute with the two goals there to ultimately secure victory. Um, Jason, what were your thoughts on this match? Listen, I know it doesn't look like in the standings, and I know it's they can't keep 11 men on the field to save their lives, but Orlando City B is not that bad. This is a team that I think is going to be, they're not going to be playoff contenders, but are going to spoil people, right? You're looking at the top four teams that are four points apart going into the playoffs, and you play Orlando City B, that's not a guaranteed win, and they're going to be teams that are going to pull up some upsets. Like you said, they dominated possession in the first half, looked really good, caused a lot of problems on the wing and that's what Orlando City B does really well they are able to have these speedy right backs and left backs pretty much beat anyone one-on-one and so they'll send these long balls they get it in and out of their three goals this year two of them were because of the side play and all of them ended up um, being from the side but one of them being the PK um, so they all start from the side and they do that well and you saw an example of that too when when he got up to the side and then Grantier got one-on-one with Tobin, and then you see the the benefits of having teenagers on your team. As a 16-year-old, which is too fast, you can say that Connor tripped, you can say that there was incidental contact, but the point was I thought that he turned the corner and I did not think that Tobin was going to be able to get to it. I thought that he tripped because of whether it was too, too fast for him or it was just too much going on, but you have to give the kids props for that. Um, but then again, you go into the second half and when Ford scored that first goal, it was like a relief just off their shoulders. You can just see the team just started playing so much better. The passing was more crisp. There was more confidence. And, uh, you know, Nunez responsible for both goals. But 
like we were saying earlier, Leonard was the reason that those goals happen. And so we'd like to do breakdowns of goals and how they happen. But usually it's things that happen two minutes or three minutes before that really sets why that goal happened. And at one point, Eric Leonard had four middle midfield breakups within a two minute span. And that's when Orlando kept possessing and kept fast attacking. And that's what slowed down the game. That was what was able to give for possession to when they want a free kick to where they scored their goal. And that was the game changer. So when we talk about central defensive midfielders, even if on the stat line, they're not showing up as important. Those are the type of plays and the, the reason I think that Ford won, I think that's a big reason that they finally got that possession in the second half and finally were able to play with confidence. Well, I, th- I think that was part of it, but I also think that o- Orlando City's defensive positioning in particular is not particularly disciplined, and that's one of the reasons why they, you know, they keep getting cards and they they try and play very physical, but there has to be a certain amount of discipline to that too. And I think that's kind of what lacked, you know, in that that first goal in particular. Um, you know, Nuno's finishes it off, but there were like four one and two touch passes that happened before that and you just saw the OCB players kind of just looking at the ball and no one actually you know tried to attack the ball or cover their runners and and that's where um, you know I think the inexperience of OCB showed in in that particular instance I, I have a question for you though because you know we as as much as I love Ricardo Pepe and what he's doing over at North Texas Luke Granator you mentioned him before if he wasn't on this OCB team and he was on a team like North Texas or something do you think that he would be significantly more dangerous? Absolutely. I, I, I think he would be personally. I, I think he's, I think he needs more of a supporting cast around him and he would be super, super dangerous. Yeah. And I think that's where Osei Wusu needs to come in and start kind of supplying those opportunities for him. Because even when he did get the PK, that was kind of him taking it and going one-on-one and turning the corner and making it happen himself. It wasn't like a through ball or anything that helped him get to it. So he had to take control of that. So I watched it when it happened, and I've watched it a couple times on replay. I don't think Connor Tobin tripped. I think he knew he was beat, and he he dove. I think he dove, and and maybe tried to look at make it look incidental. But I, I thought that was a good PK call. Um, one thing that we didn't mention is that uh, there was a red card in this match, but it wasn't for Orlando City B. It was for forward Madison, Don Smart getting two yellows in the span of a minute. The first one for just plain stupidity. Literally just... They were both really stupid. They were both... Well, the second one was even dumber knowing you were on a yellow card, but the first one just throwing, like getting playing catch with the ball boy or whatever he was doing to waste time. Okay, I get it. It's towards the end of the match. You've got the lead. You're trying to kill time. And, And sometimes people take silly yellows in that situation but then to get a silly yellow no i mean honestly just to know you're kind of trying to do that and then to less than a minute later literally just plow through somebody like you're trying to spear them it, it was right and the throwing like so they right. finally got to throw the ball in and he was like oh you guys thought that was a yellow card watch this and he sprinted downfield to run through somebody i mean my goodness what are you doing what are you doing smart that oh boy that was real real bad <laughs> Uh, so let's move on from that match to a match that was equally as exciting in in very different ways. Chattanooga Red Wolves taking an early 3-0 lead after 17 minutes over South Georgia Tormenta. Uh, you have Stephen Beatty, you have Eamon Zayed, and then Stephen Beatty again scoring all three on plays where I thought 
uh, Yara, the keeper for Tormenta, just, I mean, what are you doing, bro? Like, if there's, I know you don't ever sub out a keeper, but after those three goals, I think you're, you're starting to consider, do we need to make a sub there between the sticks? Uh, and then ultimately in the second half, way late into the game, the last 15 minutes, uh, you have Antley and Hellman coming back and notching two for South Georgia Tormenta, but ultimately they fall short and get the three, two loss to the red wolves. Uh, Ira, what did you think about this match? So I think a couple of things, I, I think firstly in the first, you know, 25, 30 minutes in particular, Tormenta just stood around. They weren't moving. So you wound up with someone on the ball and they kept on looking for passes and they, they were trying to move the ball side to side with, uh, um, with, with guys dribbling and they just had no options. So, and part of that was the Red Wolves doing a good job covering, but I think a big part of it was just the, the Tormenta players weren't, weren't like they were the first couple of games. They just weren't as dynamic and, and that was a big problem for them. Um, you know, I think BD's goal, the first goal in particular, I, I think in a way that was like a lucky home field bounce, right? Like the way the ball bounced off the um, off the surface, clearly the keeper wanted to come out and try and head it, I guess. Um, in, in retrospect, he probably should have stayed stayed in his box and held his line, but I think he was afraid that BD was going to beat him to the ball. Um, and, and the way that the ball kind of had a weird backspin just, I, I think, surprised him. And, uh, you know, it was obviously a nice finish. Um, you know, you know, in a way, this was like the opposite of what happened to Chattanooga and North Texas, right? Like North Texas going up three nil with the with the Pepe hat trick, um, and then Chattanooga trying to battle back and and. Uh, do we lose Ira? I think we did. All right, Jason, tell me your thoughts on the match. Yeah. So. First and foremost, as a uh, as a disclaimer, I thought a big difference in Chattanooga's attack com- compared to their past games was uh, Caparelli. I thought he was absolutely great, and what he was doing was pivoting the ball from the sides and being able to get down onto, like we said, we don't like to call out players here. So I'm going to say there was a particular side that uh, Hankinson – Uh, must have saw tape on and said cool that's the side that we're attacking and uh, he did a great job of being the pivot on the side to allow for you know for it to be overlapped and for it to be just too you know they would have three or four people on that side at one point and it was just overwhelming for tormenta and also a part of that too was tormenta was missing phelps who has been stellar all year, and that's usually the side that he's on. And they were missing Eckenrode as well. So when you are, you know, you have your center back pairings, and you know, you guys are feeling that chemistry for you to have to take out half of them and then rearrange people and have Connor Antley go into the middle. Um, and you know, that's probably why in the first twenty five minutes they weren't very cohesive, right? It was that they couldn't really get possession of the ball, and when they did, Chattanooga saw, you know, that okay, they're being slow with it, started pressing and putting that pressure on them. Um, so, and then once you see that in that second half, once Tormenta got more possession, that's when they started looking like the team that they usually were. So that's when they started scoring the goals. That's when Hellman and even Antley would, you know, scoring a goal going up there, you know, with a, with a great bend for a center back. But, um, yeah, so I think that Chattanooga, though, they did a great job and, uh, they did something that Tormenta, uh, does well and they were winning their duels, right? So, uh, they at first were losing 64% of their duels and then they started getting it together in the second half to where Tormenta took time to build up. And once they did start clicking, time was up. 
Um, so that is something though that Chattanooga has to watch because if they are going to put those guys forward, Richard Dixon went up a lot. If they're going to have all those guys move up, they're going to have to depend on their central defensive midfielder to really win those middle balls. And when Tormenta was getting upfield, that was the issue. He wasn't winning those duels. So that's something looked forward in the next couple of games. So real quickly, so we can move on to Richmond and Greenville. Uh, we talked at the beginning of the season that Tormento would have a little bit of an advantage just from team chemistry, bringing back a lot of familiar guys, same coach, same organization. Uh, and they had a lot of success early on. The first two matches they won, then they drew two. Now they have a loss. Here's my question. Are Have people figured Tormenta out? Are we hitting the panic button? Or is it a combination of they've got guys – injured and it's not really a big deal i don't think it's a big deal i think they're still a good team i think in, at the end of the day you know the the first couple of games i think they looked really good and cohesive they had the chemistry and you know now people have figured them out so so they'll still get their wins but it's not going to be as easy for them maybe as it felt like it was the first couple of weeks yeah i agree and if you look at the statistics um i'm going to pronounce his name wrong but ulefi uh, for Chattanooga, Ulefi, yeah, he's really he's good. The only one who won in his dual department. He had more yep. wins than losses, and so you saw in the second half that Tormenta really started getting it together. And that's because I think with the injuries and with the substitutes and the rotations, it took them time to get it together. Um, and so once they did, you started seeing more of what Tormenta's looked like in the past. So I wouldn't worry about it. I think um, once that they have. Uh, their full roster back together and they're healthy. Um, that's if they're still playing this way when we should worry. And also props to uh, Mangels for Chattanooga as a goalkeeper because he had some important saves. They weren't necessarily a ton of saves, but the saves he had were great saves to keep them in the game because that game could have easily been 3-3 by the time the whistle blew, but he had some pretty good saves. Yeah. And so... I think, Uwalfe, I think Uwalfe, you know, you, you mentioned how he was winning duels. He won most of those duels before the 70th minute. And what happened in the 70th minute is he got a yellow card. And and he kind of, after that, was not as effective as he was. I think he got a little afraid. And so um, so I, I, I think he lost more duels than he won, actually, in that last 20 minutes. And that's, of course, when, uh, that's when Tormenta looked really dangerous. So, you know, you didn't have that kind of midfield destroyer there. And, uh, you know, I I think he's he's someone who we're going to have to look out for because I think if Chattanooga is going to keep people out, they and with the way that they're trying to play, they really need to make sure that the back line is defended really well with uh, with, with their number sixes. And if uh, if one of them can't do that job, I think you're going to see them really struggle and not be. Uh, um, and, and just be, especially against teams that are more physical, you know, maybe not as much with the Tormenta, but, you know, when, when they come up against even in Orlando or, or, you know, North Texas, again, it could be a big problem for them. Yeah. I'm not worried about it as a general rule for the season. I do think, I do think it's a trend at the moment. And I think part of that is due to injury. I think part of it is people are catching up. I, I do think think Tormenta had a little bit of a leg up, but I think the rest of the league is catching up in terms of chemistry. And so maybe it's just balancing out. I think that's more of it than anything else. And I think once they're back to full strength, uh, you'll just see it. You'll see it with a little more balance. So let's uh, let's talk about the last match of the weekend. Richmond kickers getting the one nil victory at Greenville. Yeah, let's Rich talk about it, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's Chris, talk about you, it. You, you talk about it. <laughs> Joe Gallardo in the 49th minute with a goal. I'll start out since I was there. Um Man, I tell you what, this was probably the most frustrating game I've seen as a Greenville fan. 
you know, you really hope you had two two wins at home. You were hoping to kind of round out the home stand with at least getting some points here. I thought in the first half, I thought Greenville looked really good. They looked like they've looked all season, pressing high. The high press is really looking good. But, man, I don't know if I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times that finishing is a major, major issue for Greenville. They've got one guy that can do it. And if he's not on or if he's not connecting or if he's not getting opportunities to finish, there's no one else that can. And I think that's a – I don't think it's a problem that is not familiar and not realized by Coach Harks and the organization. I think it's something that they are trying to address. Um, and maybe they've got their eye on somebody that they're they're waiting on um, at another level or with another team. I don't know. But it that is like incredibly frustrating. And then they come out in the second half. Uh, you had to make that sub at halftime and switch uh, Tyler Pollock back to the back line. I think that hurt. And then you give up a goal early to – Richmond, which all credit to Joe Gallardo, he made that goal happen. He just made the back line look silly. One of the strongest defenses in the league. He just cut through them like cheese. And ultimately, I think once they got that goal, um, it, it just seemed like Greenville felt demoralized. They felt like they had kind of shut down. And and I don't know, they looked lethargic for the second half. And so I think, I, I don't know, they just, they didn't look great. Um and ultimately, Richmond walks away with the victory there. Listen, 28 crosses, you got to finish. You, only, four them, only four of them connected. How yeah. do you only connect four of your 28 crosses? I, so, I, have, I have to say something about that, though, Jason, is, is two, two things. One, I think Richmond was kind of ready for that, and they, you know, and their back line was super disciplined in defending those crosses and making sure the runners were all picked up. I mean, that was one, uh, one huge thing. And, and I do agree with you, Chris. I think in the first half in particular, it certainly could have went either way. It was a super fun half to watch for a nil-nil um, halftime uh, halftime score. Um, and you know, for with the other thing that that I think Richmond did really well and really stymied a lot of your attacks and forced you to go out wide and make all those crosses. Carlos Gomez was nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Right. I mean, he just was, you know, he, he had some decent plays very late in the game. I, I think he, he kind of figured things out and, and was able to find some, some open spaces, but for much of this game, he just was not there. And I think when he's not there to control that, that midfield and be that number 10, um, you guys just look a little less dangerous. And it's just something that, that Greenville is going to have to work on maybe having a second kind of midfield offensive threat. And uh, if, if Carlos gets uh, shut down, like he was during this game. Yeah. And, yeah, go for it. Uh, I was going to say, I just think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Ira. I think Richmond's defense was ready for it. Uh, Scott Thompson and Josh Hughes winning 11 of their duels. I don't know if it was a because of injuries and substitutions, but Akwe in the middle, for him to be a center back and play in that mid position was great, was absolutely fantastic. He's been one of the most consistent players in the league this year. Uh, he won five of six of his duels, three of four aerial, which is important, and had the game high of eight clearances. And so I think, like Ira, you were saying, they were forcing um, Greenville to play on the sides, and that's something that Richmond hasn't done previously right so now that they're winning these duels in the middle and they're forcing teams to play on the side and they've got positioned ready to win those headers when the crosses come in i thought it was a great game plan i think aqua was a very important part of that and also shout out to a uh, lockaby because eli just killed it 
Um, when he took that space, Greenville likes to overlap and have a lot of people high, especially like what you were saying, Chris, with Polek going up and not being able to get back. Eli took advantage of that, and he had about three or four great runs to where he had those opportunities. And I think that they were very uh, conscious of that, to which the point when Joe got that ball, you can see two of the defenders kind of sitting on the side waiting for a Richmond player to overlap and get the ball passed to him. So instead, Joe said, okay, I'm going to go straight at you guys and then just hit the soul train line on him and went right through it so yeah but props to richmond they looked great and i think this is the first time they're finally executing uh, or getting close to what executing what a coach wants them to do yeah and greenville's gonna have to work hard to bounce back this week as they travel on the road <laughs> to madison to open up uh for madison's home season and to talk more about that tonight we are joined by peter wilt hey, peter thanks for jumping on with us my pleasure good to be on with you guys how you doing we're doing great. Uh, just ignore my sign over here. I'm just I'm leading the hashtag no mingo movement this week all the way from Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, just trying to do my part to balance out the show tonight. Good luck. I appreciate the effort for uh, equilibrium. <laughs> <laughs> now, Peter, let me let me ask this just because, you know, you're you're a maestro at this. Does this does this weekend still have that special feel to it? Is this still like the first day of school and you got your clothes laid out and you just you've got you're anxious and giddy, or is this routine to you? And you're like, yeah, this is well, what it's I definitely do. not routine. I don't know if it's so much first day of school as it is Christmas, uh, and I guess being a a parent for Christmas because it's like we've we've worked hard to put the this present together, these gifts. And now we get to give it to the children and they get to open it on Saturday. So it's still special. Absolutely. So we, we talked a little bit earlier before you jumped on that uh, it kind of feels like because it's forward Madison, this is going to be a little bit of a PT Barnum esque style. If PT Barnum is running a, a soccer match, a home opener, you know, everything you guys have done so far has been over the top, huge, what kind of things do you have planned? I know I know you don't want to divulge everything, but what kind of special things do you have planned for the home fans this weekend? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting comparison. And at first when you said that, I it, it ruffled my feathers a little bit because, you know, I always pride myself on, on putting the soccer first and being the purest and um, not being gimmicky with outdoor soccer. I mean, I had my time of gimmickry, and it was when I, I ran indoor soccer teams, and that's obviously a different animal. Um, and the fact that our ownership, Big Top Soccer, owns four Northwoods League's uh, minor league baseball teams and is arguably, especially with the Madison Mallards, the best uh, operator of, of fun promotions in, in minor league baseball – a lot of people in Madison were kind of half expecting the soccer team to be a version of that, you know, um, kind of um, PT Barnum soccer. And that's absolutely not what we're going to do. We're uh, focusing on the game experience led by the fans themselves, just like uh, every other um, soccer team in America in the last 10 years that's really connected well with their audiences. Um 
you know, I am proud of our Chicago Fire Days because we're one of the first teams really to focus on that. Not that we invented it. I stole everything good about the fire from, uh, and, and I, Jason, I appreciate you wearing an old school jersey. I, I mean, the like Nike that. swoosh. Um, is that, gosh, I don't think it's 98. Is that like it, 99? It's 98. 98. I think so. Holy buckets. That's a rarity because I don't believe Nike made any replica jerseys the first year. So is it an authentic? That's what we do around here, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you do well. But anyway, so we, we stole um, th that concept of really letting the game be the game and let the, the fans create the atmosphere from D.C. United. Uh, I, I stole their assistant coach. Uh, <laughs> I stole a lot of good things from D.C. United. Um, so it, it's not going to be gimmickry. Uh, as a foundation of this team. That being said, yes, uh, forward Madison has been whimsical, uh, has had fun, certainly through social media. Uh, I mean, heck, tonight we awarded uh, a grand prize of flamingos for a year uh, to, a, to a fan in Madison. And we did it publisher's clearinghouse style with a giant check and balloons and players at the front door. So it's not that we don't do gimmicks and have fun, but when the game itself is on for those 90 minutes, it's about the game. Uh, and yes, we do have a few fun things we planned, uh, have planned for, for Saturday. Um, I, I won't divulge them now. We'll wait for Saturday. So, uh, Peter, t firstly, nice to see you again. We, uh, I don't remember if you met, but we were in uh, Chicago at the United Soccer Coaches Convention, and we met at a bar with Alexi Lawless and Paul Tenorio and Cuba and a bunch of other people. Oh, my gosh. Um, that, a weird story. So I, I went to that bar because a couple of friends of mine from Section 8 said, hey, we're going to be at Maria's tonight in Bridgeport. Uh, you want to meet us there? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. So I went to that bar expecting to meet a couple of friends, and I walk in and I'm like, well, there's Cuba. What is he doing here? There's Alexi Lalas. What is he doing here? I had no idea that that was a, a yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of weird. But I do remember meeting you. It was a great time. It was a great night. It certainly was a good night. So, so talk about building building the team. So, uh, you know, you've you've now built a lot of rosters uh, in, in your day. How was it with a new league, new team? Uh, you know, building out this roster and knowing that you would probably be getting some players from Minnesota. Um, so, like, when did they tell you who they were getting, what positions they were playing? So, how do you fill them in? On the Minnesota part, we had a pretty good idea early on on a group of maybe six to eight players, knowing. It would be four to six of that group uh, early on. So that helped positionally. Uh, we knew we'd end up with Wyatt Amsberg uh, very likely uh, for most of the season. And so we held off on getting a, a second uh, center back of that caliber, uh, instead investing more money in the midfield. Um, you know, same with Mason Toy. I think we, we had a pretty good feeling we were going to get him. Uh, the process is certainly is different than putting the Chicago Fire together. Um, some comparisons, I suppose, to Indy 11. Uh, it, it's challenging in some ways, um, of course. But at the same time, the pool of potential talent at this level is huge, right? I mean, it's 
you know, the pool of available talent to put together an EPL caliber club is very small. <laughs> uh, but as you go down in divisions and, and quality of leagues, I suppose, the pool of talent gets larger and larger and larger. Um, but then you need to look at other uh, characteristics besides uh, just talent level. Uh, certainly character itself uh, is an important one. Experience, age, um, adaptability to a particular market. Uh, and then you, you have to work within the rules of U.S. soccer when it comes to international players. We only have uh, seven of those slots, and we knew Minnesota would account for a couple of those. So we had to work within that framework. Uh, we, I mean, my, my philosophy, I'm putting it, uh, I guess uh, philosophy is too strong a word, but uh, strategy is maybe better on how to put together a team is hold out on filling the entire roster until a month or so before the season starts. Because there's always a few players after the MLS draft and MLS's final cuts uh, who become available at the last minute that you didn't realize were going to be available. The temptation is to fill your roster earlier because you see some really good players out there. And if they're available, the human nature element is let's get them on board, let's bring them in, and then we know we've filled uh, position A, B, C, and D. Uh, but the discipline in you tells you to hold off on some of those decisions. I'd say on a scale of 10, our discipline was probably in the seven range. I, I don't think it was as good as we wanted it to be, but for good reasons. There were players out there that seemed to fit what our needs were. And both uh, that and players that we knew of, especially uh, Daryl, uh, Daryl Shore, head coach, and Neil Havati, our assistant coach. And that's an important part of it too, right? Not just that they look good on video, but that we have an existing relationship with them. We know what they can do. We know what to expect from them and vice versa. Uh, so we ended up filling our roster sooner than we probably planned. Um, and in the end, I think uh, it worked out really well. It's, it's the, the whole Minnesota uh, dynamic is an interesting one. I don't know that any other team in the league really has that uh, in terms of just a small number of players uh, from the MLS team. And so far, I think it's working well, both in terms of how they're fitting in on the field and maybe more importantly, how they're fitting together off the field. Peter, one of our live viewers, Omar Angulano, wanted to know where are you going to be watching the match uh, this weekend? Are you going to specifically ask, are you going to be sitting in the supporter section? Well, I hope no one sits in the supporters section. Uh, in fact, we don't. We took out the. That's benches. the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> we took out the benches so you couldn't sit there unless you're literally on the ground. Um, I, I do have a season ticket. I buy a season ticket uh, for the teams that, that I work for, and I, I, I uh, bought a season ticket in the what's called the covered corner. So it's under the canopy roof. So uh, it looks like it's going to be precipitating. Although the late, latest I saw is. Good news is it won't be rain during the game. The bad news, I think it's going to be snowing during the game. Like great oh, Break out the orange ball. Yeah, hopefully. 
kind of crazy. So uh, my season ticket is there. It's um, yeah, I, I think it's a really good seat. It's kind of in the corner, uh, top row, underneath an, um, a canopy roof. Um, that being said, I, I, I don't expect I'll spend more than ten or fifteen minutes in that 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 seat. Um, I generally wander, both because I, I'm impatient, I'm nervous during games. And I can't stand still. But also, I want to um, experience the game from different vantage points, talk to different people during the game. I really don't watch much of a game, per se. I mean, I'll be looking at it, but I, I won't be taking it in because so much else is going on during the, the game. Um, I'll watch it on replay probably at 2 in the morning, uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Um but for Omar, yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely I'll be in the in the flock for a period. I'm getting old, man. I, I mean, I go to fire games now, and I go to Section Eight with the intention of standing in Section Eight for the whole game. And uh, I'm lucky if I make it 30 minutes. Um, I need to sit down at some point. Uh, but I'll be wandering. I'll, I'll be taking it from. We had that exhibition game last week against uh, University of Wisconsin, and I, I watched the game. I think from every vantage point. Probably would have liked to have spent more time in the main grandstands, but I was in press box for a while. I was behind um, the the goal on the canopy roof side, and uh, of course, I was in the supporters for a while. I I know you're not, you know, probably going to choose favorites. You might, I don't know, but being that this is your home state, does this feel a little more special? Does this feel like? Like this is something to where, you know, like there's a difference now between what it might have been in the past or moving forward. I, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is home. I mean, my it's weird. I'm not sure what my home is uh, because I grew up in Chicago, outside Chicago. I'm a fan of most of the Chicago's major sports teams and the Chicago fire is always going to be my baby. I, I don't think any team will ever take the place of the fire in my heart. Uh, though in different leagues, I have different teams. And, you know, I still support the Chicago Red Stars greatly and the and Indy 11 for sure. And there's a, a soft spot in my heart for Minnesota United because I, I still connect them anyways with the Minnesota Thunder. Um, and the Milwaukee Wave, I, I root for for my time there. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, this one's um, special because it is in Wisconsin. I've lived in the state for 40 years. We haven't had – a pro outdoor soccer team here in 15 or 16 years. So yeah, forward Madison's is, is always going to be special. And I read something, uh, you wrote an article in Howler uh, a couple of years ago and something that, that I caught, I never really thought of. You were talking about the importance of homegrown population. Um, and so you had mentioned, for instance, Detroit that has a 74% homegrown population and you see the fandom that they have out there for their team with Detroit city. So when you look at expansion city teams, do you feel that there's an advantage to building uh, a team that has more homegrown population as opposed to it being a transient city? Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do with any team is create a tribal mentality where the fans feel a, a real connection to the team, a sense of ownership. And whether there's a high homegrown population or not, that's hard work. It's, it's heavy lifting. Um, we don't have the benefit of generational support. Now, I'm a White Sox fan because my dad was a White Sox fan and from the south side of Chicago, and 
I'm guessing he was a White Sox fan because his dad was a White Sox fan. We don't have that benefit when starting a new team. But in these high homegrown population markets, we do have the benefit of a good percentage of the community really being connected to that community as opposed to a Las Vegas or a, a South Florida, a lot of the Sunbelt cities where a large percentage has moved in from other markets and brings their loyalty to the market from a different place. Um, I mean, that's why I think Cleveland and Detroit and Buffalo, New York, frankly, are really untapped markets that will do well once they do get uh, professional soccer there. And I think it is indicative why uh, Detroit City has done done so well. And, and it's, it's not an exclusive concept, meaning um, if you do a poor job of re outreach, you're still not going to draw great crowds if uh, in a market that has high percentage of homegrown talent. And the opposites. Uh, not true as well. I mean, in Las Vegas, even though the homegrown population is very small, if you do a good job of, of creating a brand, like I think the lights have, and, and connecting with the community that's there, you can you can succeed as well. Uh, Miami, though, that might be the ultimate challenge. Gosh, um, whether it's David Beckham and his group or, or someone else, um, God bless them for trying it. It's such a diverse market. And it seems no one is actually from there. And I'm not sure anyone that lives there plans to stay there forever. So, and there's so much else to do there. And, and that's a tough one. Uh, but yeah, that homegrown population concept and the affinity people have for their hometown is an important driving factor for the success of a team. Peter, can you talk to us a little bit about your, you know, building relationships with, say, youth clubs and and others, and and how that, um, how that's happened? Because you know, you are building everything up from the ground, right? It's not it's not the same thing as having, you know, a whole bunch of <laughs> a whole bunch of youth clubs, um, you know, that you've worked with already because it was a PDL team there or a USL League Two team. Um, so you know, tell tell us about the, your plans in, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, youth soccer is obviously the low-hanging fruit for community building, uh, and it is critical. It's important. I mean, they're going to end up being a third to a half of your, your ticket buyers. Um, I don't think, and I had a, a couple presentations last night where this topic came up, uh, I, I don't think it's as important in the branding of the team as is other demographics. I, I think the young adult millennial crowd, even though they may not be spending the most money with you cumulatively, it's they're the group you're branding the team with. If, if you're cool and edgy and uh, connected to the essence of a city, you need the young adult millennial crowd. And if it's cool with them, it will become aspirational for the youth soccer community whereas the opposite's not true. Uh, and those are just, you know, to the demographics. To have a true community-connected, grassroots, broad-based support, you need those connections with dozens and dozens and dozens of, of groups, whether it's social, charitable, civic, um, commercial. Uh, those are the organizations that are kind of the fabric of a community. You want to become 
as a sports team, a soccer team especially, part of the fabric of the community. And you go a long way to getting that with youth soccer. And again, they're going to buy a lot of the tickets, and that's important from the business standpoint. But for the sustainability of the team, really becoming part of the community, it's got to be much more broad-based than that. Uh, Indianapolis, um, we did such a good job with that. Uh, a guy named Tom Dunmore gets a lot of credit for that. Uh, Gijo Gordon, who was our community relations director, and really everyone in our oh, – Molly Kruger, as long as I'm dropping names – Gosh, there's so many people that got that concept. I'm proud that I, I taught it and, and had a big role in it. But the key to making it success successful was having these people that bought into it from a front office standpoint and then deputizing essentially the Brickyard Battalion and dozens of other groups and giving them the, the power to promote the team for us and spread the word and create these tentacles in the community. Because if you can get your supporters group on board and all these charitable and civic organizations to do it, instead of having a dozen or two dozen front office people promoting the team, you have literally hundreds or thousands of, of people doing it for you. Um, you know, I talk often about there's a spectrum of fan support where maybe it starts as an interested observer and then you hope to move them along to um, a casual fan, to an advocate of the team, and ultimately get as many as you can to be evangelists for the team. And if they're the influencers in their own network, it's going to spread and people are going to think Indy 11's promotional efforts are everywhere. And now uh, we're doing the same thing with Forward Madison and having, I think, some pretty good success. Peter, I want to wrap it back up around to the League One front. You are someone, you, you have such a, a breadth of soccer knowledge and experience that it's it's easy to just pick your brain on, on all these different things. But I'm curious to know, you know, you, you've had your hand in a lot of different teams and what was it about the potential of starting a brand new team in a brand new league in division three, which, you know, before this year wasn't, wasn't currently present in the U S soccer landscape. What was it about this opportunity in particular that really drew you to want to be a part of this project? There's a few things. Um, certainly my home state was a big part of it. Uh, Madison, I think is, you know, almost an ideal market because it's a very young place. Um, the university plays into that. It's a very progressive community as well. I mean, that, going back to the 1960s, if not earlier, it's been a very progressive community. You know, a similar, I guess you could say to Portland, Oregon, and we've all seen what Portland has done. But the ownership of this club was a huge part of what attracted me to it. I've been a fan of Big Top uh, for a long time as a, a I went to my first Madison Mallards baseball game probably a dozen years ago and was so impressed with the fan experience. Uh, they do an amazing job of customer service and creating an environment that's just plain fun. Uh, and after having met the guys, and I, I was actually recruiting them to join NISA, <laughs> they ended up recruiting me to join uh, Big Top. Uh, so I guess they won out. <laughs> and uh peter i want to thank you again for joining us i'm going to send you off with this one just because 
reading our article, you being the brilliant man that you are, you had talked about mid-sized markets that you thought were great choices uh, for soccer communities that were untapped. Those three included El Paso, which has a team now, Fresno, which has a team now. And so I want to ask you, if you were to put on your tinfoil hat and you wanted to say, oh, I would really love to see a team in the near future for USL League One, what city would you place that team in? Omaha. And that was the third one. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, again, and I, I tried hard to get a team in Nisa and Omaha. Uh, you know, it, that's actually a borderline, uh, should it be championship or USL League One? You could probably be successful in either one. Um, I, yeah, I mean, competition, obviously, there's not a lot. There's no major league sports teams there. Um, demographically, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch. It's The country's not full yet, which is pretty exciting. I mean, when you think about it, we're living in a really fortunate time for soccer growth. Um, you know, 30, 40, 50 years from now, I'd like to think that the country is pretty saturated uh, with teams, small, medium, or large markets. And it's exciting that we're living in this period, and I'm, I'm fortunate to be part of it. Peter, thank you again for joining us. You've already taken over locally. You've got people flying in from England just to watch this team play. Uh, let everyone know about the Mingo's Worldwide program before you head out. It is pretty neat. Um, Connor Tobin, who's our uh, team captain and uh, a legend in lower division soccer in America, uh, Minnesota United and uh, North Carolina FC. Uh, he's also working in our front office. I mean, my gosh, Connor has got an A license coaching. He's got his MBA. Uh, he's going to rule the world someday. He came up with this concept that uh, Forward Madison has a number of expats, or I'm sorry, Madison has a number of expats living around the country that are interested in soccer and potentially interested in Forward Madison. Uh, so we we're creating this this club for them, but then we also noticed there were fans of Forward Madison because of our social media presence throughout the country and indeed throughout the world. We thought we need to give them a way to remain connected with Forward Madison, and we do these town halls for season ticket holders and other fans locally. And we thought, well, we should do something similar to fans of forward Madison around the world. And we've created Mingo's Worldwide uh, where fans outside of the Madison area can join and then be connected to us. And we'll try to be as transparent with them as we are with fans locally. Uh, we had our uh, uh, first uh, virtual town hall with Mingo's Worldwide, I think a week or so ago, one in the afternoon is have a beer with um the front office. We had uh, one of our owners, Connor Kaloya, with us, as well as Connor um, uh, uh, Tobin, uh, myself. Uh, we're actually able to introduce on that segment our play-by-play -play man that we're going to have on our ESPN Plus uh, home broadcast, uh, Josh Eastern. So that was pretty neat to be able to do that for them. And it's just, you know, uh, a way to extend the forward Madison love throughout the world. Well, thanks for jumping in with us once again. Uh, fellas, let's, uh, before we wrap up and close out the show tonight, we have a question from one somebody on Twitter. 
Will there be a supporter shield for the best regular season record for USL League One like there is in MLS? Uh, Jason, any inside scoop or knowledge or thoughts on that? Uh, I don't, but you know, since we got the man here with still with us, Peter, what, what do you think about maybe talking to uh, the supporters group and seeing if we can get something together like that? Oh, there absolutely should be. I mean, you know, we're talking American soccer about the need for promotion and relegation to give more uh, interest in the regular season. And we've got the playoffs to determine the ultimate league champion. But the guy, the team that goes through 28 games ends up on top with the best record should get something. Uh, so, you know, I'll leave it to you guys and the supporters to come up with what it could be called and any rules or regulations. I mean, basically, it should just be who gets the most points in the regular season. Tiebreakers, of course, should be the highest attendance, I think. Or the, like it. Or the northernmost team in a United States <laughs> market. Uh, by the way, Toronto and Madison, just about the same northern parallel. It's very close. Toronto might be a hair uh, north of, of Madison. All right. Well, uh, we're going to preview this week's coming matchups. Uh, Lansing Ignite FC is going to be taking on Toronto FC2. FC Tucson taking on South Georgia Tormenta. North Texas SC versus Orlando City B. Richmond Kickers versus the Chattanooga Red Wolves. And the match we've all been talking about, Forward Madison hosting the Greenville Triumph in their home opener uh, Ira, Jason, or or Peter, if you want to jump in, which which matches stand out? Which are the ones you are going to be glued to the television for this weekend, or or going to in person? Well, I, I think you, I think you have to watch the uh, Madison Greenville match. I mean, you have to watch all the home openers. I mean, that's that's a that's a must see TV kind of thing right there. Um, I, I hope I didn't break any trademarks, but um, <laughs> you know, so I think that's really exciting. I, I I think also the the kickers Red Wolves match. You know, we've seen we've seen Lansing and and the kickers now twice in a row. Let's let's see these other teams that have had sometimes some some challenges earlier in the season and how they're going to uh, fare head to head. And I'll, I'll piggyback off of that Richmond uh, Chattanooga game. I think it'll be interesting. Richmond has had to deal with teams that are attacking them, right? They had to deal with Lansing's attack. They had to deal with Greenville's attack. Chattanooga doesn't necessarily attack as much, and they're kind of, you know, they, they do well with counters. They kind of bunker in. So it'll be curious to see if Richmond, you know, they want to build from the back. They want to keep possession. This is their chance to showcase that, right? And I think that while they're in this groove and while they're getting better, this is going to be a great test for them to see, okay, can we execute this game plan that we've been working hard to do? So Chattanooga only had like um, 38% possession last time. You think uh, maybe they have even less? <laughs> listen, Chris, listen. Chris saw, Chris saw them last week. So I looked up a stat, and I'm going to see if I can quickly find it. But apparently in this league, possession does not matter. Um, because I saw, yes, only every team in week four that had the least possession won. Uh, Chattanooga being, like you said, 38 possession, uh, 38%, but still scored three goals. And 72% of the teams that have won this year have had less possession. So I'm wondering if that's going to be uh, because it's you know new league, new teams, and uh, the counters are kind of dominating right now, or if this is something that's going to keep trending throughout the and, year. And fair, everybody's going to be kicking to the other team. Four of this those losses were OCBs, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Three. 
this isn't the only league where possession is not always rewarded. Arsenal had possession 71% of today's match. And but there are, but there are Arsenal, so that's what you expect. <laughs> Shout out the coach, uh, Bulo. That's Sorry right. about your team. Uh, so aside from watching Greenville Madison, which I will obviously be watching, I'm actually curious to see the uh, Tucson Tormenta match. These are two teams that I had in the playoffs preseason. Uh, Tucson's gotten off to a rough start. Uh, Tormenta started fast. They've kind of cooled off a little bit, and they are traveling out to Arizona. So I think I think that game has sneaky good potential, and I think Tucson has a chance to to maybe get away with three points there. But that is not one of the two games we're going to be picking this week for our uh, yearly pick 'em. And, you know, Peter, you'll be excited to know that uh, these guys, whoever has the worst record at the end of the season is going to have to wear the, uh, the gear of another team. And they initially started pushing me towards wanting to force me to wear Tormenta gear, but I think they might be uh, – they might be changing their tune with my oh, with no, my no mingo. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the first game we're going to pick this week is Richmond versus Chattanooga, and the second one we're going to be picking is Madison Greenville. I'll go ahead and throw Mark's picks in because he obviously wasn't able to jump on with us this week. He has uh, Richmond Chattanooga ending in a draw, and he is picking the Flamingos of Madison to win in their home opener. Ira, what do you have happening this weekend? Uh, I have draws in both of these matches. Um, I, I think in the the Chattanooga Richmond match, you'll you'll potentially have a couple of goals. Um, you know, Richmond at home. I think the Red Wolves though will try and bunker and and try and you know do some quick um, you know quick build up, but not necessarily counter um, and and hope to you know kind of push the uh, push the the, the Richmond. Um, possession off and and just uh, you know beat them and tr- beat Richmond in transition. I, I think you know Peter. I hate to say this, but I I think you know while you your guys will be up for it, I think your crowd will be rocking and you. I think you'll score your first home goal or two. Um, I, I think Greenville is uh, their attack is going to be good enough that um, that they're going to also score a couple. So I'm, I'm calling this one probably a one-one draw. Jason, what do you have going down this weekend? So I have uh, Richmond beating Chattanooga. And the reason why I have that is if you watch the second half of the game last week with um, Richmond and Greenville, Lee for Greenville had to make a ton of last-minute tackle saves in that second half when Richmond was passing in the middle. He had to make four within like a five-minute span in the 75th minute and on. And I think that is an indication that Richmond is passing extremely well in the middle. And I think that's going to be able to break through what we were talking about, how Chattanooga is not defending the middle well. I think that's how they're going to break through that. So I do think that Richmond is going to come on top of that game. And, you know, the Madison Greenville, I've got it as a draw as well. Um, I'm going to be, I'm going to be hoping that, you know, the crowd is rocking. It lives up to everything we want it to be. I think it's going to be a fun game day experience regardless, but I do think that uh, we're looking at a one, one game. Uh, and Peter, no pressure, but what, are you interested in making picks? <laughs> sure, I'll I'll take Chattanooga over uh, Richmond two nil, and um, wow. our match is going to be a tough one. I don't know if you've seen the forecast, but it's chilly, uh, so we'll break out the orange ball for it. It could be those, a- those green those Greenville boys aren't used to the cold. That that's an advantage. <laughs> I agree, and I, I think that'll help us come out on top. I think it'll be a low scoring game. I'll say one nil to the good guys. 
Uh, great. So Greenville's going to win. I like it. I like that pick. Uh, <laughs> so I'm the I'm the uh, I'm the only one on our regular panel that had the had the guts to not pick any draws this week. Um, I've got Richmond beating Chattanooga. I've seen both these teams play in the last two weeks. Um, I think I think Richmond's a better team on paper and and in person and i think the fact that they're at home is going to give them the nod there um chattanooga has looked really strong at home um but they've not looked great on the road and so i think this is this is richmond's game and then uh i've got the good guys traveling up to madison and you know initially i had this down as a draw didn't know about the weather that might kind of push me back towards a draw but i'm Oh man, I think I even picked it as a draw in my article uh, previewing the match on my site. But I think uh, I don't know. I just I saw the guys coming off the field on Saturday. You know, just really bummed about how they played in the second half versus Richmond, and I think that's going to be a huge motivation to them. I think it's going to be hard though. They're going to go into a raucous crowd there in Madison. It's going to be cold. I, I I wouldn't be surprised for this to be a draw, but I'm just going to go ahead and and stick with my pick of uh, Greenville getting a a, a <laughs> one nil victory or or a two one victory, not not a blowout by any stretch. <laughs> um, guys, where can everyone stay connected with you, Ira? Where can folks follow you? At Ira Jersey on Twitter. And Jason, where can folks follow you? At Home Sweet Soccer. And just to give you guys an update for the yearly pickums, Mark is the only one undefeated right now. Not not after this week. <laughs> Peter, how can guys how can folks follow what you guys are doing up there in Madison and follow you in particular? Oh gosh. Uh, my Twitter account is at PeterWilt1. And uh, the club is at forward MSNFC. And you can follow me over at YTSS Podcast is where I do all my soccer podcasts and blogging. Um, we want to thank our sponsor, Golden Goal Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for just yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. And also thanks to Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Fellas, thanks again for another another great week. Make sure you're following the podcast at League One Fun. That's League the Number One Fun over on Twitter. And we will be back with you next week. See y'all.